Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your hosts, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy. And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist, certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher. We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combating modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey. Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started. I feel like I've seen a broad experience in my few births, and what surprised me along the way was uh, to have nurses in the hospital um, criticize the woman giving birth for moving and um, groaning because uh, it's saying that she, that's why she preferred a PZ, um, epidural because the women were quiet or another nurse who came in afterwards and said, wow, what you did was really neat. How did you do that? And that was shocking to me because she was the, the nurse and that was her job. And um, what was the other comment that struck me was a doctor going down the elevator after the birth and the doctor was in the elevator too. And he says, it seems that most of the people that have a doula are afraid. <laughs> which is, um, which is kind of opposite of what a lot of people think because they think, oh, I have a doula cause I'm prepared and I want my, uh, and I want my, uh, my birth plan to be advocated by somebody else besides me. Uh, so maybe like fear, like the right word, maybe it's more of they understand what happens and they need someone else to advocate for them. And because unfortunately we hear those stories that we're going to talk about today that takes away choice and increases fear. You know, maybe that person just more realistic and is ready to advocate for herself more than fear. And the, I I also think 
that we have a lot of fear around giving birth. We've created a lot of fear around it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, and so how, how does the process, how are women empowered to overcome their fears and face into something that can be arduous and challenging, but take it on with gusto. Like they would have, you know, doing a triathlon or. Yeah, um, it's embedded in our culture. I mean, every movie that you see, the woman is screaming like bloody murder and um, looks helpless. And um, yeah, a lot of women I talk to are, are just, I feel that fear coming from them. I guess just my own story. I'm, I'm pregnant and I'm planning on having a home birth. And a lot of women that I tell are like, Oh my gosh, that's like really, really brave of you. Like I would be way too afraid to do it at home. Um, I need to be in the hospital surrounded by doctors. And um, like, I don't know. I just, it's just, I don't know where that fear comes from. And it's just sad to me that we don't have that empowerment of like, Oh, this is what my body is meant to do. And like, I can do this, um, you know, with support of my team, my midwife team, whatever your team is, doula team. And um, I don't know. I'm just glad that I, I guess being in this field that I have gotten more of that, belief in me now of, of strength and that like, I can do this. <laughs> um, yeah. And the, I think the American obstetrics association came out a couple of years ago and said, um, we need to start supporting women who want to give birth at home. And mm-hmm. I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is more women are giving birth at home. And two is doing a natural delivery in the hospital is becoming less feasible for hospitals. So in our area, one of the hospitals closed their birthing floor because it they had to keep it staffed 24-7. And most of the people coming in there just gave a normal vaginal birth. And um, so there was no money in that. It was costly for them. It um, mon- medicine is being um, parsed down to profitability, and unless a woman is having uh, epidural, um, C-section, there isn't a lot of money to be made in that. That's very harsh statement. Um, well, now it seems like like because the percentage that I found online for the, from the World Health Organization, they say that 70 to 80% of pregnancies are low risk and that um, they don't necessarily need a hospital birth and that midwives, and they recommend that midwives are actually the most appropriate um, healthcare provider for a normal pregnancy and a normal birth. So... I, I think that we're tr- they're trying to get the word out there that hot or home and maybe like birth center births um, should be more normalized and that perhaps hospital births um, are sh- 
I think there's kind of a shift trying to happen towards hospital births or more for when there are like a higher risk or a more complicated um, birth. That makes a lot of sense to me. I know when I took that doula training, um, they talked about the history of midwifery and that, uh, you know, the history is that it's a more superior form of care uh, because the midwife spends longer time with you per visit. They have um, designated topics to go over with um, expecting mothers. Um, so whereas the doctor visits are often focused on, well, do you have any questions? Or is there anything wrong? Right. And they don't spend as much time with you in your visits or the actual birth. I mean, they're very good at when there are complications and you do need uh, emergency medical intervention. That's what they're there for. But yeah, they think the midwives are there for, they're just more trained and more knowledgeable in helping you through the, the whole process. There's also being, so what are some of the things that go into being prepared for a good birth? And this is where I point to your resource, Chrissy, that you put together. Mm-hmm. On the, um, do, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Like the, yeah. the fitness yeah. aspect of being ready for birth? Perhaps? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, a, I mean, I don't know if this is a great analogy, but a lot of people say that um, childbirth is a marathon and, oh, and, and an ultra marathon, right? Like it's not just three hours, you know, it's an ultra marathon and that no one in their right mind would do an ultra marathon without any training or any, um, doing anything to help prepare them for this ultra marathon. And so you can always, in, I don't even know the statistic, but I know a good amount of pregnancies are unplanned. You know, it's not necessarily where, you know, I knew that I was ovulating at this time and then I knew this is when we're trying to get pregnant and bam, we're pregnant. You know, that doesn't necessarily happen for a lot of us. And so ideally, if we could determine or if we could start our preparation before conception, like, yeah, that would be as as prepared as possible. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know they're pregnant until a month four weeks in or even more. Um, so that's also to say that if you don't know right away that it's okay, you know, it's, you don't have to know right away. You can still prepare at any point during your pregnancy. I mean, you could even prepare at 35 weeks, you know, at 38 weeks. I mean, it, as long as you know that there are things that can help you to go through delivery or labor and childbirth that and having that knowledge that there is something is the first step. And so part of it, um, so the program that I created is a, it's 26, 27 weeks long, the whole program is, um, where you get an email every day or every week um, about a topic of that week. And it really takes you through, okay, so first trimester, we, you know, we can still be active. We can, we don't really have that much limitation. It's really dependent on your symptoms. Like, are we nauseous? Are we 
uh, not able to eat, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's really symptom dependent, but it tells you, it walks you through how exercise and activity is safe for you during pregnancy and going about your normal day, but knowing that we're preparing, you know, in the 30 weeks or 28 weeks that this big thing is going to happen. And then the second trimester section is about how we can start modifying some exercise in order to make sure that our body is safe and that we prevent as much as possible um, pelvic floor dysfunctions or um, SIJ pain or neck pain or something like that. There's also um, nutrition advice. Um, a lot of people don't realize that, yes, you need increased nutritional needs because you are caring for another living being inside you, but it doesn't have to be, you know, the eating for two thing. You know, it's, you know, eating for a little, like 500 calories, you know, it talks about like normal weight gain and talks about, okay, maybe we should shift a little bit of what type of food that we should be eating. Um, there's lots of um, interviews from people in the community and around the country and the world, actually, um, of their birth experiences and their pregnancy experiences. Um, and then it goes into the third trimester, which then talks about, again, modifying activity and exercise uh, to make sure that we, again, are limiting any pathology. Um, and some of it can't be avoided um, by uh, the third trimester, every person will have a diastasis recti. So um, it just depends on how much the separation is and how well you can control it. Um, so we can't avoid it, but at least we can control it as much as possible. Um, it also talks about uh, birthing positions that are comf that are the most beneficial to deliver um, and have a childbirth. Um, it talks about uh, pelvic floor opening and breathing to allow for a more successful childbirth. It talks about um, perineal massage and how that can be beneficial. Um, it talks about what partners can do and family members and friends can do to help the process. Um, it gives tons of resources um, of what is available out there for people, especially if uh, midwifery uh, is too expensive or doula is too expensive or um, food is too expensive or whatever it is, there's our resources there to let you know that there are programs out there to help. Um, there's also a interview with a uh, doula here in the Tri-Cities um, who had, who got to doula care um, because her of her own uh, traumatic childbirth and which it gets a little well it's a little graphic childbirth is graphic to begin with but um, her she really goes into detail about her traumatic experience which I think is very important for us to be able to talk about um, and so I, I and you can even see in the video how she felt that it was she needed to tell her story and that was the way that she wanted to tell that story. Um, so that was really, uh, really cool to see. And I, um, 
I tell everybody who is pregnant that is looking for a doula that she is an amazing person. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of a rundown. It's pretty, it's a little bit more general, but, uh, I definitely think it, it's not the most exhaustive, but it definitely is a, a good, well-rounded, um, program. Uh, there's also a company called Evidence-Based Birth and their website is evidencebasedbirth.com. And that is also one of the most well-researched, uh, resources out there that people can use and they have classes and and we're still in COVID time and so it it always update updates about um pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum uh and COVID so uh that's another resource that's out there that is amazing as well yeah so I mean your program is just a good example of a if you're afraid of giving birth what to do Mm-hmm. is to um, face face into the things you're afraid of and do something about it that prepare yourself for, for birth. When I gave birth, which was 40 years ago, they had, um, they had classes and you would attend twice a week for six weeks in preparation. They would teach you how to breathe and they would show you birth. Everything that you <clears throat> just said, you had more, but they essentially the class you're offering or that this other place is, you know, offering is the preparation that they, they used to do. Um, and then they didn't, they weren't having the C-section rates that they are having now. Um, so I understand why we don't do it now. Well, one, we're in a pandemic, but people living such busy lives, taking time out to go to a class uh, just became not feasible, but now we can access them online through these kind of resources. And um, I think what they prepare you to do is to let your body do its job. And the it seems to me the most important thing in giving birth is get out of your body's way and let it do its job and just let go, which is... A lot of times they you know, there, there's a correlation between medical interventions and C-section rates. And again, we're not saying that C-section is bad. Um, obviously, it's there for a reason, and it is an appropriate intervention at times. Uh, but sometimes it could be this unnecessary, very serious abdominal surgery that people seem to not realize how serious it is. Um, and a lot of it is because of the cascade effects of not allowing the body to do its job and not allowing baby to do its job and forcing the situation for whatever reason. Yeah. I think it's important to ask your like care provider too, or wherever you're giving birth, the, the C-section rate just so that you're informed because in hospitals, I, I, I did a little bit of researching around and, apparently like c-section rates in the hospital can vary from seven to 70 percent oh, of wow. birthing women um and then i saw that birth centers had an average of four percent and then home birth had the lowest amount of c-section rate um of people having to you know, go from home to the hospital to have one um so just even knowing that i think is really important um 
practice who you're wearing can like advocate for yourself and then mm-hmm. you're right too about like the um there is a risk of a cascade of interventions that lead to um that lead to c-section like uh, not if I can say this as well, but like if you get an epidural at, at uh, not the right time, then that can slow contractions. And you have to achieve four centimeters dilation, and and then get the C-section, and then it—I mean, not the C-section, the uh, epidural—and then it yeah. because once you get the epidural, it slows the um, action down a little. So they the best thing to do is. Try and get yourself to four centimeters dilated. And then if you want the epidural, then do it. And even I was just remembering too, like before that, if they, if you get, uh, if you're induced and you're originally not wanting to get an epidural, the induction itself increases the pain of, and of an intensity of contractions. So that a lot of women do end up getting epidurals after induction and then there's like the, like this cascading of interventions that you're more likely to get a C-section the more, um, or once you start on the interventions, you're more likely to get more interventions, if that makes sense. And remembering that it is a major abdominal surgery that will have lasting impact on the body. So we're trying not to do that if possible. And, um, and thank God they have them for when we need them, but maybe we could get that rate down. (laughs) That'll be be good. Yeah. You know, cause you know that you could say the rates are higher in the hospital because the hospital is going to more often deal with, uh, at risk pregnancy. Yeah. So the ones that choose home birth are going to be low risk anyway. And so they're going to end up with fewer C-sections. So it's not that it's safer to give birth at home. It's just the people are making a, who are choosing home birth made a, a good choice for themselves. So everyone has to know for themselves where, where they need to be to, to create that safe place and then have the support around them that they need. Oh, I remember. So one, one gal, um, that I, that I worked with in the hospital, the nurse walked in looking at her watch saying, okay, like the person with the lady, the pregnant lady is on the clock because they have uh, markers in the hospital. We need to see the person reach this level by this time. Uh, and if they're not hitting that mark, they know that their risk level goes up. So they're, they're, uh, putting everyone on the same clock. Um, I, I hope they have a different clock for first time moms versus, um, you know, multi-parents, but um, cause the first babies, they just take longer. Most yeah. Uh, yeah. it's, the, it's the exception that goes quickly for the first time baby. So mom is in for a lot of work and it's a lot of relaxing and letting go. I think that's a good segue into understanding that birth and labor is is not a controlled environment and we 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 have to tap into that 
primal state and be willing to let go. And, you know, there's a lot of vulnerability in that. And a lot of people don't like to be vulnerable. They like to be in control. They don't want to show their vulnerability with a group of strangers, right? And that is kind of why also midwifery is so nice is because you're with the people who are going to attend your birth from the beginning. Whereas, you know, you might, and with OBGYN, you might not even have that person, like if they go on vacation or you definitely aren't going to know any of the nurses, you know, um, and the anesthesiologist if you need it. And so here we are with a very serious and complicated situation with people that you're supposed to let go with, but yet don't even know their name. Um, that limits, that inhibits that ability to let go. And which is what is very imperative for childbirth. It's kind of ironic, right? That yeah, the most time they're supposed yeah. to be vulnerable. Um, and I heard something once from uh, a company called BirthFit um, that they, in their course that I took, they talked about how we would, the goal would be to create childbirth the setting like conception now like for most of us not all of us but most of us conception happens in a very beautiful and loving and thoughtful way where it's feels comfortable and we're able to let go and we're um with somebody that we hope that we love and that we or at least wants the to be a companion in this journey. Um, but then birth is so the opposite of that. And if we can make birth as close to conception as possible, where it is that same environment, then maybe outcomes would be also better too. So I like that. an interesting way to do it. They talked a lot about that in um, that book, Birthing from Within, um, which is a really good one, uh, how it's like a primal need in all animals when they give birth to have that like safe environment where your nervous system feels safe. But if there's anything that like activates your stress response, like bright lights in the hospital or beeping sounds or like people you don't know like you can actually reverse um dilation like your your cervix will like close and then usually doctors will kind of freak out about that and um, not be okay with it but it's a very natural response to stress while you're birthing because you think about like evolutionarily when you're giving birth and say a predator comes along or and your stress system gets activated you need to stop the process of birth in order to run away and get to a safe place so it's like embedded in our nervous system that we need a really really safe place um, a lot of animals actually just like go off into a cave by themselves and give birth in like a dark safe place so uh, that was really intriguing to me and it's like how can we provide like yes at home it's really comfortable and you're in your own safe space but and then how can you 
how can we provide that for women at, at hospitals and at all all birthing um, spaces? You know that that creates another segue, <laughs> I think. Uh-huh. Which is, uh-huh. um, it, it's a gosh, it make uh, it's an insight for me, like because we're trying to control pain at birth. That's like the medical thing to do. And maybe we're interpreting that that's what makes women not feel safe is their pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do create, our society creates fear around pain. It's like no pain at all costs. Pain is bad. Right. <laughs> Medicate it. <laughs> yeah. And um, so one of the ways that the hospital tries to create safety is to alleviate pain. Well, so is it okay to feel pain and uh, pain in childbirth? And I, so I gave birth three times. The second one, when it's time to push, I was, I had zero pain and I had no medication. Um, I was allowed to sit upright. It was a birthing chair. It was amazing. I don't think, yeah, um, there were probably the position of the baby was just right too. Um, It, it, it it was just the most wonderful experience. And Mm -hmm. uh, of course there were the, there was the pain of the contractions, but I just wrote them. And then when it was time to deliver, there was the ring of fire when it was time to push, you know, the stretching of the cervix. But other than that, I was just feeling great. I was happy. Um, And I think it had a lot to do with positioning, which um, I could not get over when I took a pregnancy course um, for women's health. Um, And they quoted research that said the McRoberts position was the best position to give birth in, which is laying flat on your back, which locks out the, the pelvis. And I'm like, this has got to be bad research. Did they sit anyone up? It makes no sense. I don't know what specific research that they're, what the actual article that you are talking about, but I would hope that they know that the bias of laying flat on your back with your legs in a stirrup is in reality the best position for the medical provider because they're able to do the cervical checks, which for everyone out there listening, you can deny cervical progression tests and assessment because you don't need to be checking that so often. And um, it's the best place that, you know, they can stitch you up afterwards if you need them, or it's the best position uh, to keep people there so that they can do other medical interventions. So it's really the benefit for the medical provider, not for the patient slash mm-hmm. child giving birth person. I don't yeah. even want to say patient because like I feel patient then requires medical, you know, then, then it's like, you know, something that you have to fix. Right. And it's like, I don't even want to say that. Yeah. Cause they're not a patient. They're a, a mom giving birth. Yeah. exactly. Um, so there's an ethical thing around pain. I think it's at times, you know, like the, the pain of childbirth, I appreciated the challenge. I, I think we can maybe help be in less pain by changing position, but it's almost, 
I have to give it as my opinion and know that everybody's experience is different of pain. And, um, you know, so what's, uh, I, I, I pause a lot in talking about this because I don't, I'm not wanting to say people should be in pain, <laughs> but mm-hmm. some experiences in life are painful and they, it doesn't make them bad. Um, right. Maybe it's just more about normalizing pain in birth and instead of just quickly jumping to alleviate the pain or shaming women for not getting an epidural at the hospital. That sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I wonder if, because I'm thinking about like the post that I made and how it doesn't really address the, it prepares you for when you start labor right it doesn't prepare you for the stages of labor and then childbirth right and so I think in in a course of something like that like talking about what is pain and how it's so multifactorial and we talk about the biopsychosocial model of pain and how it's not just tissue damage or tissue changes that equate to pain. It's much more complicated. So I think if we educate people about what pain is and how it's multifactorial, then people might realize like, oh, me just numbing myself with an epidural doesn't always equate to pain relief too, because there's other things that could be contributing to your pain. Yeah. There's one we could talk about. Yeah. Yeah. What is pain? (laughs) Well, and just that I think birth is where you see the, how our culture relates to pain right now, which is where we don't relate to pain right now. We numb it out. (laughs) And those ways that we numb out pain have their own risks. So in birth, epidural has a has a risk um, that might not be necessary if we had people who are willing to uh, work with the mom to to um, give birth. So one of the things I really enjoyed about being a doula was you walk in with your tools, but you cannot apply the tools in order in expected sequence or anything you have to l- be looking at the mom and go and see what's going on and say here try this and then that'll work for a while and then it will stop working and you have to come up with a new thing uh and a new way of doing it um uh, to help them through this next spot and as they as their body is changing their needs are changing and it takes somebody who is there constantly looking and perceiving and work and giving strategies to move through to the next step. And it's, it's changing, changing, changing. And then sometimes there's long times of, of the same thing, quiet, but you're still there with them. So in the medical model, we're going to give you a epidural walkout. Then we can just come in and check on you from time to time. Um, I think I mentioned to you guys previously for my mom, so if she was alive today, she'd be 95. Her first baby was breech, and they stuck her in a room by herself. 
I don't know how she did that, but the girl came out and she's, my sister's wonderful, but um, women deserve that kind of birth where somebody is with them that knows what to do. And I feel like this is also a harsh statement because I know doctors and nurses mean well, but it is as if we've forgotten how to deliver babies. Because nowadays, if you have a breech baby, they just want to do C-section. And that has to do, too, with a litigious society where they think everything should go right. And if it's if I don't, everything doesn't go right, somebody it's somebody's fault and I'm going to make them pay. Yeah, there is that fear of doctors doing um, being sued. I mean, that's kind of an unfortunate part of this is the malpractice lawsuits that are so prevalent with um, OBGYN insure like medical insurance like or litigation insurance you know there's a lot of uh, insurance companies that won't give insurance to people to OBGYNs who uh, do VBACs or do vaginal bridge deliveries like and if they do the cost of that insurance is astronomical and so you know, it's kind of like the insurance companies, again, are, are, and I'm talking not like medical insurance, I'm talking about um, professional liability insurance, that here we go again, is a, a medical or non-licensed people are making decisions for medical people to practice. And that's illegal, but, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Yep. And the lay person, normally people don't know that. That's just behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like when you're making the decision of a practitioner, you don't know what your practitioner's liability insurance is saying. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really know that until I came into the Tri-Cities and realized how few providers did VBACs. And I literally had to like make a list of people who would ask me, well, who do you know that do VBACs? And I, it's like less than five people in the entire Tri-Cities. Um, you know, nine, eight, eight years ago, there was one guy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's that's still, like, you know, it's, it hasn't gotten much better. Oh my God. Yeah. And even though the research says that, that it's okay to do VBACs. <laughs> but again, it's a control, control thing, right? It just, we're trying to control as much as we can on something that is so primal and so uh, uncontrollable that those two forces don't go together. Well, I think we could go on and on with this topic, but uh, what is there anything we would want to say to wrap it up for now and to summarize? Um, I think, Birth is a wonderful, messy, painful, um, amazing experience. And um, women should have the, not just the right, but the opportunity to give birth in um, safe ways that help them discover their potential, their full potential. Yep. And I think part of that is just knowing, you know, do your research. Don't take what medical providers say at face value. You know, 
definitely and use appropriate resources to do your research right like not not that blogs aren't a good resource um it might be a good place to start and have a list of things to research but unfortunately now we're putting the onus of responsibility solely on the pregnant people and that you know because there's a bias in medical providers and what education they teach so have a list of things to research and see what works best for you because you you have to have a plan as you go into go into childbirth yeah and as women like this is one of our powers and don't let anyone take away your power (laughs) what I would add at the end well thank you ladies thank you thank you We'll talk again soon. Good. (laughs) Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions PLLC. That PLLC is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.